Welcome to Awaken to Grace. Today we come to what, for me, is one of the most intriguing kings of the Bible. His name was Manasseh. He was the son of Hezekiah, and perhaps he was the most wicked king ever produced in the nation. Well, Manasseh is the king with a surprise ending. While most kings started off doing what was right and then ending up off track and doing what was evil, Manasseh is the exact opposite. He began as one of the most wicked kings ever, but he ended up repenting and ultimately coming back to the Lord. The Bible says he greatly humbled himself. Well, today we are going to study the principles out of the life of this very intriguing king named Manasseh on this edition of Awakened to Grace. I'm going to call today the king with a surprise ending. And I don't know if the Lord has ever given me a more fresh word than he has today. And I don't know who I'm preaching to. And I don't know who this word is for. But this is what I know. I know the Lord has been speaking to me all morning, telling me many things. I know the Lord woke me up at 3.30 this morning. And before I even opened my eyes, the Lord said, Breakthrough in Babylon. The Lord is going to teach us breakthrough today. The Lord is going to teach us what it means when our life feels like it's in shambles. What it is when you're in a place of desperation. What it is when it looks like there isn't any hope and all you see are ashes and everything is burned down and it feels like everything in your life is irreplaceable. No, I'm telling you, the Lord can bring you to a place where he can turn everything around, just like he did Manasseh. Now, there are going to be principles we're going to learn on the way. The main lesson we learn of Manasseh's life is that while there is forgiveness of sin, it does not cancel out the consequences for sin. But what we are really going to learn, the main takeaway, is that God is faithful even when we are faithless. We're going to learn today that even in the midst of evil and even in the midst of wickedness, even in the midst of wrong decisions, even in the midst of sinning with a high hand, even in the midst of intentional sin, you know what? God still keeps His covenant. God still remains faithful to His people, as we are going to see in the life of King Manasseh. Look at chapter 33, 2 Chronicles, verse number 1. Like all of the kings, we get the backstory. Manasseh's born. Remember his father, Hezekiah, who we just spent two weeks with. Remember Hezekiah was given an early death sentence, approximately 39, 40 years old. He was going to die with a terminal illness. And he prayed and God extended his life 15 years. And then, uh-oh, no, I, the way I read it, he was a nut-oh baby. I don't know. But here comes Manasseh. 
the uh-oh baby. I mean, you don't have to, you know, be good at math to do the math. He was given 15 years, and now he's 12 years old when he becomes king. Hezekiah had Manasseh during that 15-year extension. And now this man, the greatest king Israel produced since Solomon, Hezekiah, the king that pleased the Lord, the king that walked with God, the king that defied all of the odds because we studied his father Ahaz, who was completely wicked. You remember how wicked Ahaz was? He burned his earlier sons, alive as a pagan sacrifice. Wicked man. You remember, Ahaz refused the help of the Lord. God said, I'll give you a sign. Ask me for anything. As low as Sheol, as high as heaven, ask me for anything. And what did he see? What did he say? No thanks. He had no confidence in God. He had every confidence in foreign gods. Idolatry. Hezekiah burst onto the scene and God brought such revival to the land through Hezekiah and the man walked with God and the man pleased God to the point that even God changed his mind and reversed the death sentence because Hezekiah walked with God. Hmm. But now we come to chapter 33, Hezekiah has died 15 years later. His son Manasseh takes the throne at only 12 years old, and he's going to reign for 55 years. He's going to have a long kingship. And it tells us in verse 2 that he did what was evil in the sight of God. He was a wicked, wicked man. Let me tell you the principle we learn. I want you to note this first. Number one, please note this. Do not take for granted that your children will grow up to love God. Don't take that for granted. I'm afraid that we as Americans have lost the foresight to share our values, to share our beliefs, to share our convictions with our children. I'm afraid that as Americans, we've handed over the responsibility to schools. We've handed over the responsibilities to whatever media they're consuming. And for many, we've handed the responsibility over to the church when they're only here for 90 minutes a week. You think your children are going to learn to follow Jesus being in church 90 minutes a week? No. Do you know where they're going to learn it? Watching you. Watching you. Watching your life. That's where they're going to get it if they're going to get it. And we have handed off these responsibilities and we've handed off these things just as Hezekiah did. What we learn in the transition between Hezekiah and Manasseh is that Hezekiah failed to hand down his faith. He failed to hand down his values. He failed to give the next generation. Do you remember the fatal flaw to Hezekiah last week? He showed the Babylonians all of his kingdom. And Isaiah said, what have you done? And he said, the Babylonians are going to take everything captive. And you remember what Hezekiah said? As long as there's peace and security in my day. Could we 
be that selfish as well? As parents? As grandparents? Are we doing everything in our power to leave a legacy? Could it be that we're just like Hezekiah? And we are going to forfeit the next generation. And our attitude in reality is let them fend for themselves. Is anyone with me today? We better not take for granted that our children will love God the way we do. What would have happened? What would have been different in this kingdom? Had Hezekiah said, I'm going to take these last 15 years and I'm going to give toward this next generation. I'm going to invest in the next generation. It would have been far different. So verse 2, he's wicked. Verse 2, he does what's evil in the eyes of the Lord. Verse 3, 4, 5, we see he... He takes the altars and he takes the things that Hezekiah did and he removes them and he breaks them. And what does he do? He brings all the idolatry back. He puts it back in the high places. He's going to put it back in the temple. He's going to completely lead Israel astray. He's going to bring in strange altars. He's going to forsake the altar of the Lord. And verse number six, we see the height of his wickedness. Verse number 6, just like his grandfather Ahaz, he is going to burn his sons as a pagan sacrifice. He's going to get steeped into what the Bible calls fortune-telling, divination, sorcery, mediums, witchcraft. All of these things are an abomination unto the Lord. And let me just say this because anytime I come to these texts throughout Scripture, it is always an opportunity for me to warn you pastorally. Drop those horoscopes. Have nothing to do with tarot cards. Have nothing to do with psychics. Have nothing to do with palm reading. You know why? Because the Bible identifies it as divination. It's evil unto the Lord. And for us as Christ followers to look at a horoscope every day, it is an insult to God Almighty. Perhaps you don't realize this. Perhaps you've been doing that and 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 you've never been taught that. You've never been told that. Friends, it's called divination. And it's wicked. If you have a Ouija board in your home, you should get rid of it this afternoon. If you have tarot cards or anything like that of of divination or of sorcery, you better junk it. You better junk it. Let me tell you, that's why I don't follow Harry Potter. It's why I don't have anything to do. I don't have anything to do with divination in any way or sorcery in any way. Because look at the end of verse 6. You know what those things do? They provoke the Lord and they anger the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me tell you, I will rid my life of it and I'll have nothing to do with it. So verse 6, we see the height of his arrogance and we see the height of his sin and he's in all this paganism and he's steeped in all this divination and he angers the Lord. Are there things in our lives that are displeasing to God? Let me tell you, I, I don't want to be comfortable with those things. I want God to shine his light on me. And I want God to say, Chad, I don't like that. Chad, this displeases me. Chad, 
remove that. Doesn't the Bible say, I love this verse in Proverbs. It says, uh, don't be like the mule who's stubborn. And don't be like the horse that just has to have a bit in its mouth. It said, no, God says, I'll guide you with my eye. Boy, I love that verse. Can God just guide you with his eye? Can he just look at you in a certain way? You remember growing up how your parents could just look at you in a certain way? They didn't have to say anything. Come on. You know, do you have parents like that? I want the Lord just to be able to look at me in a certain way. And I go, oh, Lord, yeah, no. I know that. I know you don't like that. You, you, you know what I try to do with my kids? I, I, I know that yeah, you know how children are. You tell them, I don't like that. Stop that. What does it make them want to do? All the more, right? There's a little phrase that I like to use with my kids. You know what that phrase is? I prefer. I'd prefer for you not to listen to that. I'd prefer for you not to talk that way. I'd prefer for you to think about it like this. Why? It teaches them to reason. It teaches them to know. See, and, and, and that's, I think, I think if, if we would open our life to the Lord today, from what we listen to, to maybe what we're watching, to maybe even things like horoscopes or things that maybe we thought were quite innocent. I think if we were to open our life to those things today, you know what I think the Lord would say? I don't think he's, I don't think he's got these lightning bolts that he's getting ready to whew, strike you with. No. I think the Lord would say, yeah, I'd, I'd prefer you not to do that. Anybody with me today? Amen. Boy, I want to be sensitive to the Lord. <laughs> I want to be sensitive to him. And so... Verse number six, we see the height of where he is. Somebody tell me verse seven. Help me, help me with the beginning part of verse seven. Ah, oh, so he makes this carven image. He puts it in the temple. And what does he say? Oh, this is so important. He says, Jerusalem is where I've chosen forever and ever. Jerusalem matters to the Lord. Jerusalem matters to him. From that day all the way to this day, and even into the millennial kingdom, Jerusalem will forever be the city of the Lord. Do you know the Bible is a tale of two cities? Babylon, beginning all the way back with the Tower of Babel, and Jerusalem. And all through the Bible, all the way through, remember our great study of the book of Revelation? Do you remember what happens when Babylon finally falls? We'll see it from heaven. And we'll shout hallelujah. And what happens in the grand finale of human history? The new Jerusalem descends. The Bible from beginning to end is a tale of two cities. Babylon and Jerusalem. And the sin that Manasseh makes is he brings all of this idolatry. He brings all of this sorcery. He brings all of these uh, fake altars. And he puts them, this great carven image, and he puts it in the temple. And God says, no, this is verse 3 and verse 7. Jerusalem is where God has chosen. The center of the earth. It's where he has eternally and forever chosen to place his name. That's a big verse. Verse number 8, we see the conditions of God's blessings, the conditions of God's promises. What does he say? He say, listen, I'll keep you in the land and I'll protect you and I'll bless you as long as you do what? As long as you stay faithful to the Lord. As long as you stay righteous. There are conditions to God's blessing. Do you realize that? 
See, some, please hear my heart today. Some of us are asking God to bless us, but our actions are absolute contrary to the fact that he can't do that. Many of us, we have God's hands handcuffed. He wants to bless you. He wants to answer your prayers. He wants to work in your life. He wants to do great things for you. But your sin doesn't allow him to. Because he's not going to bless you in the midst of sin. Can we say amen today? Oh, I want to receive this word today. I, I, I don't, I, listen, I don't want to harbor sin over here and then try to trust Jesus over here. It's not going to work that way. And this is Manasseh. And he says, listen, I'll protect you and I'll bless you. I love my people, but I'm not going to do it over your sin. There are conditions to it. This story is paralleled in 2 Kings chapter 21. And in verse 13, I want you to write down our second principle. In verse number 13, God says, I am going to judge Judah. And this is, oh boy, it puts a shudder down my spine. Here's what he says. He says, I'm going to wipe you like a dish and turn you upside down. I want you to note this principle. Manasseh should have been able to look to the northern kingdom. Because you know what happened? In his father's lifetime, the northern kingdom is done. It's gone. It's wiped out. God allowed them to be taken off captive. Manasseh should have been able to look at the calamity of the north. He should have been able to look up to the north and say, I don't want to end up like they did. And he should have recharted his course from there, but he didn't. And God says, I've given you time. I've given you warnings. I've spoken and you will not listen. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to wipe you like a dish and turn you upside down. Oh, oh my. Manasseh was so wicked. Verse number 16 of 2 Kings 21, it says that he filled the streets of Jerusalem with innocent blood from end to end. Do you know what Jewish tradition tells us? In the book of Hebrews chapter 11, it talks about great martyrs of the faith. And it says some were sawn asunder. Some were literally sawn in two. And do you know what, do you know what Jewish history tells us? Do you remember who was the primary prophet under King Hezekiah? The prophet Isaiah. And history tells us, tradition tells us, Manasseh had Isaiah sown in two. We believe that's where Hebrews 11 is referencing the martyrdom of Isaiah. He was a wicked man. And God says, I'm going to bring such judgment on you. That I, it's going to be as though I'm wiping a dish and turning you upside down. And God said the judgment is going to be so severe that every ear that hears it is going to tingle. God's not playing around. God is going to judge this wickedness. Now go back to 2 Chronicles 33. Verse number 9. What is the result? What is the result of this? Rather than repentance? No. It says that King Manasseh led Israel further into idolatry. And how steep did it go? The Bible says that they were such a wicked people that it exceeded the nations whom the Lord destroyed. In other words, they were more evil than the most evil nation on the earth at that time. 
They were more wicked than the pagans, than the people who were the worst of that day. They exceeded it. Verse number 10. Like beacons of warning, God sent them prophets. God tried to warn the people. God tried to warn King Manasseh. And what does the word say? No one would listen. Does that not sound like our day today? Does it not sound like this culture today? Let me tell you, we may have slick technology, but human nature has not changed at all. So verse number 11, God allows the king of Assyria to come and with bronze chains they capture King Manasseh. And now God is going to reconcile the account. Now judgment has come. And the Bible says that King Manasseh, this man who has the heritage of Hezekiah, he is led off into captivity into Babylon. Do you remember what Isaiah prophesied to Hezekiah? You opened up Babylon. You showed him everything. He said, your very sons will be led off into captivity. Now that's going to be fulfilled much later under King Nebuchadnezzar. But see, here are the seeds beginning to sprout. And so Manasseh finds himself, verse 11. He is now in captivity this man who could have been a great king, this man who could have walked in the ways of the Lord, this man who had everything spiritually at his fingertips, this man who inherited everything spiritually from his father Hezekiah, and he despised it all, he walked away from it all, he rejected it all, now he is led into captivity, and here he is in Babylon itself. What did we say? The Bible is a tale of two cities. Because he brought the carven images into Jerusalem, because he brought idolatry into Jerusalem, God allowed him to slide captive into Babylon. But see, this king surprises me above all other kings. There's no other king that surprises me more than Manasseh. I want you to look at verse 12. <laughs> Now, he had to have learned something from his father. Because when he was at the lowest of all low, when he was at the place of what the Bible calls in his despair, in his distress, in his desperation, what did he do? He called out on the name of the Lord. What did he do? Verse 12, the Bible says he greatly humbled himself. Let me tell you, the Lord spoke to me so early this morning. It was nowhere on my radar until the Lord spoke to me so strongly. I don't know who's here today. I don't know who's watching online today. But some of you, I believe many of you, you feel like you are in spiritual captivity. You feel like the enemy has come into your family and he has stolen everything that he can steal. He's walked into your life. He's walked into your spiritual life. And he has stolen from you. And everything in your life feels as though you're in captivity. Even your very spiritual life feels like a foreign land. 
Nothing feels familiar. You feel like you can't pray any longer. You feel like you're distant from God. You feel like God is thousands of miles away from you. You feel like your life is in shambles. You feel like your faith is in shambles. And you can identify with King Manasseh as he's sitting in chains, in bronze chains, in Babylon, captive to the enemy. Many of you feel that way today. But I want you to look at what he does in verse number 13. Say amen if you're with me. This is absolutely extraordinary. So in verse 12, he greatly humbles himself down. I'm telling you, if you want to go anywhere with God, if you want to make any kind of spiritual progress, it will come through humility and humility alone. God opposes the proud, James chapter 4, verse 6, but he gives not just grace, he gives more grace to the humble. Amen? I'm telling you, I'm in a place in my life. It's not just grace that I need. It is more grace in Jesus' name. And how do you tap in to more grace? Because here God is. He is abundant in all grace. He has no cap. He has no reserve. He has no limit to what His grace can do in your life. And how do you get into that? You humble yourself down. He opposes the proud. But he gives what to the humble? More grace. Oh, I want more grace today, don't you? More grace. More grace. More grace in my life. How do you get it? You humble yourself down. How long has it been since you've humbled yourself? How long has it been since you've come in humility to the Lord? And I want you to watch what he does, verse 13. He entreats the Lord. He comes before him. He prays. He prays. He prays. Somebody say, he prays. Let me tell you, my friends, prayer is not part of the equation. It's the entire equation. If your life is a mess today, let me tell you what to do. Pray. If you're upside down today, let me tell you what to do. Pray. If you're in a mess today, if your back is against the wall today, if it looks like there's no hope today, let me tell you what to do. Pray in Jesus' name. It's not part of it. It's all of it. Amen. Amen. And what did he do when he prayed? He moved the heart of God. And do you know what Satan will tell you today? He'll tell you it's no use praying. God's not listening anyway. Nothing ever changes. Nothing ever moves. God isn't paying any attention to you. No, let me tell you the gospel truth today. The more you pray, the more you move God. Amen. It's the only thing that moves God. You don't play the victim card. Your victim mentality doesn't move God. It doesn't move him an inch. You're whining. Oh, come on now. Don't get quiet on me. You guys don't whine at God. I do. Oh, come on now. Say amen if you whine at God. Oh, God, it's not fair. Man, my little three-year-old John Mark, he wants to play on my phone. and I say, not right now. I never get to play on your phone. Never. Oh, he'll fall on the floor and just yell, never. 
We act like we're three sometimes with the Lord, don't we? But that didn't move the heart of God. John Mark, he'll... <laughs> uh, we have this whole thing where I always ask him, I say, your daddy's boy or mommy's boy? He'll go, daddy's. He won't say it real loud where his mama can hear it. He'll go, daddy's. And I say, you daddy's special boy? And he'll kiss me. But when I don't give him my phone, you know what he does? He goes to my door, and he stumps his foot, and he goes, me, not your boy, and shuts the door. (laughs) Me, not your boy. I don't know about you, but I can be that way with God sometimes. I can look around at other people. And I can get discouraged real quick. Let me tell you something. You look inward. You look at yourself. You're going to get depressed. You look around at other people. You're going to get discouraged. But you look up to the Lord. From where does my help come from? The maker of heaven and earth. You'll get delighted. Look to the Lord today. Don't play the victim card. Don't play the woe is me card. Don't play the God you answer everybody else's prayer. Why don't you answer my prayer? No, no, no. That's pride. That's not humility. Don't come to God with a false humility of, oh God, oh God, you, you, you just, you know, you never do this, Lord. No, no, that's pride. It may be, it may wear a mask of humility, but in reality, it's, it's pride. No, you humble yourself down. You say, God, if you don't ever do one other thing for me again, what you've done is enough. I submit under the mighty hand of God. He prayed. And what did it do? It moved God. Hudson Taylor said, that great missionary to China, he said, I don't don't spend my energy moving people. I pray and move God. And God moves men. He moved God. He moved God. That's an... It's an extraordinary statement. This man who was so wicked that he filled the streets of Jerusalem with innocent blood from end to end. This man who martyred the prophet Isaiah. This man who burned his own sons alive as a pagan sacrifice. This man who brought the carven image into the temple. This man who got into sorcery and divination and mediums and and omens and all this witchcraft. This And now he sits with nothing. And now he sits at rock bottom with nowhere to look but up. And he moves God. Say amen if you're with me right now. Let me tell you something right now, child of God. Don't you be embarrassed by your desperation. Don't you be embarrassed with your desperate circumstance. Because let me tell you the good gospel news. God is attracted to weakness. It attracts him. 
God is attracted to humility. It attracts him. He opposes the proud. And you may have walked in here today with a fake smile. You may be going to work with a fake smile. Your life may be falling apart and you don't know what to do. Let me tell you what to do. Bring that desperation to the Lord Jesus Christ because he's attracted to it. And you'll move the heart of God. So God responds. God, through a miracle, takes him out of Babylon back to his kingdom. And I want you to look at the principle. Verse number 13. Is that where I am? 13, yeah. Verse 13, the end of the verse. And Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. <laughs> what a great lesson to learn. He knew that the Lord was God. Do you know that today? Do you know it by experience? Or are you filled with pride today? If anything we've learned from all of these kings, it's that pride is a deadly, deadly thing. This is the one king. Verses 18 and 19. Look at the commentary of his life. This is the one king out of them all who greatly humbled himself. Do you need to move God today? Humble yourself. Do you need God to step into your family today? Humble yourself. Do you need God to heal your body today? Humble yourself. Do you need God to give you wisdom and give you discernment? To give you understanding? Do you need breakthrough today? Humble yourself. If you're in Babylon spiritually. If you're held captive spiritually. Humble yourself today. And God will break through. If you enjoyed today's broadcast and would like to hear more great content, you can always download our free mobile app, Awaken to Grace, where you can request prayer, find sermons, articles, blogs, music, podcast, as well as support us financially. You can also visit either of our websites at www.preachingchristchurch.com or www.awakentograce.com for more information about our church or our resource ministry. Thank you for listening to Awaken to Grace.